Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana, and we're here today for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. My guest today is someone I've known a long time, uh, which isn't always the case with my guests. Some of my guests I, I'm meeting for the first time here, but it's Kevin Knowlton. So Kevin, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Jeffrey. I'm so happy to be here. Great. Well, I look forward to talking to you. I was telling you off camera, I've done a lot of research and kind of deep dive into your world. And so hopefully I can make it uh, clear to folks out there, a little more clear after we speak about what exactly you do. So let's hop in there. Let's dive in. Okay. All right, Kevin. So you're the vice president of the Cyber Innovation Center located in Bossier City. If I do nothing else today, I want to clarify for the audience what cyber is, why people should care, and what type of work is happening at this incredible campus on the eastern part of our community. Definitely. The campus is multifaceted, housing, I believe, four buildings. And if that's not correct, feel free to clarify. Uh, the buildings are the Cyber Innovation Center, mm -hmm. General Dynamics Information Technology. Correct. The Bossier Parish Community College STEM slash Louisiana Tech Academic Success Center. That's correct. And the Louisiana Tech Research Institute. That's right. I'm not sure we'll cover all four buildings, but if we do our job today, people at least have a better handle on what all is happening at your 3,000 acre National Cyber Research Park. So let's start here. Please define in simple terms the word cyber for us lay people. Definitely. Well, Jeffrey, when I talk about cyber, uh, the way I view it as it is the connectivity of things. When we look at our homes, and I think our homes are a great example of our homes being cyber. When we look at our homes, we have a Wi-Fi connection. We've got internet that's connected. We have smartphones that are connected. In some, phone, uh, in some homes, we even have devices that we really you know wouldn't think need an internet connection like many of you have probably have a refrigerator uh, that wants to connect to the the wi-fi or an oven that wants to connect or your uh, crock pot uh, that wants to connect to the internet this is what we call the internet of things you know where everything is connected and that's what i call cyber cyber is our computers uh, it's our vehicles you know, think about all of the electronics within our vehicle. It's the connectivity of the airbag sensor, the motor, the fuel gauges, the radio, the air conditioner. That's cyber. It's the connectivity of things. When you go to the gym, you know, when you know, you're running on the treadmill and you have the ability to connect it to an app or you have the ability to know how far you've run or the incline that you've got, uh, that's cyber. That's the connectivity of things. And in 2022, in the digital age that we live in, cyber is everywhere. And so, I don't know if this is where you're going with your with the next question, but when we talk about cyber security, it's now securing the connectivity of things. When people talk about I've been hacked, or when people talk about uh, that there's been a data breach, well, we have to really think about how do we secure those things around us so many times there 
our stories in the news and, and i'll give you a couple of examples that are kind of kind of crazy um so there's an auto manufacturer and i'm not going to name the auto manufacturer but there was a group that through their um uh it's it's like an OnStar or you connect you know when you push the button when something happens and it sends out a signal uh a distress signal uh there have been several hacks where a a a bad guy would hack into a car and have the ability to control your air conditioner control your radio control your braking control your blinkers and and there are known cases youtube it hacks on vehicles where somebody's driving down the road and next thing you know the car just shuts down imagine that you know, imagine going 80 miles down the uh you know interstate 20 well, i guess you can't go 80, 80 miles an hour i don't go 80 miles an hour who's watching this <laughs> um, when you're going 65 miles an hour down interstate 20 and your car shuts down imagine that or if you have one of those refrigerators that um you know is connected to the internet Imagine somebody hacking into that and shutting the power down, adjusting the temperature, taking your freezer from 32 degrees to 40 degrees and you've spoiled everything. Or your Alexa or you know your other at-home devices hacking into that. And so we must have a security mindset when we are connecting all of our all these tools in our lives together. Uh, so cyber is everywhere. Cyber is everything. But when we have cyber, we have to think about security, and that's cybersecurity. Love it. Okay, so, and we will get more into cybersecurity, but one of your missions at the Cyber Innovation Center is to educate and develop a knowledge-based workforce around STEM, which most people know, but stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, around STEM related fields. To that end, one of the divisions or arms of the Cyber Innovation Center is cyber.org, which I think you used to head up. In August of last year, cyber.org launched K through 12 cybersecurity learning standards. It was the first national effort to align cybersecurity criteria and curriculum across all 50 states. Talk to me about how a K through 12 school and K through 12 educators connect with cyber.org and begin to utilize the curriculum you've developed. Well, cyber.org was the first thing that the Cyber Innovation Center set out to do. We knew that if we wanted to diversify the economic base within our community, if we wanted to change the the landscape of the types of jobs in our community that we had to start at k-12 research shows that students are making informed decisions as to what they want to be when they grow up at the fourth fifth grade level that's elementary school think about that elementary school these students are having an idea uh, of what they want to you know be and and i was an assistant principal before joining the cyber innovation center and of a k-8 school and, and I would always go into our, our eighth grade Algebra one class, and they, I would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I got doctor, lawyer, veterinarian, police officer, you know, Mr. Nolton, I want to be Drew Brees, right? You know, and so one student one day asked me and said, or told me rather, Mr. Nolton, how can you expect us to tell you what we want to be when we grow up when we don't know what all the options are? And that was an aha moment for me of going, 
what am I doing to ensure that my students know about the job opportunities of tomorrow? Jobs that may not even exist today. Because look at the cybersecurity jobs that exist today. They didn't exist 10 years ago. And so as these students work to inform themselves as to what they want to be when they grow up or what kind of jobs there are, we need to empower educators to have confidence in letting those students' imaginations run wild. And so that was the impetus behind creating cyber.org and the impetus behind ensuring that we can recruit companies to this area because we have a workforce. It's kind of that field of dreams. If you build it, they're going to come. Uh, and, and they have. And, and we can talk about the impact of the cyber from an economic development standpoint later on. But from an education standpoint, we partner with Bossier Parish Schools. And, and recently, Caddo Parish Schools have come online using our content and curriculum. And we are producing a high school graduate that is cyber literate, that has industry-based certifications in cybersecurity, that then can go straight into a two-year or a four-year degree program in cyber. We've got Bossier Parish Community College that's got an incredible two-year program in cyber, I think 15 degree programs. We've got Louisiana Tech University that has its first cyber engineering degree program that we helped uh, them build. We've got Grambling State University that has the first cybersecurity undergraduate degree program in the state of Louisiana. We helped them build that. You've got LSUS that has a great computer science uh, department with our cyber collaboratorium that's a phenomenal facility. We have higher ed institutions that are taking the students that we're generating out of the K-12, we're getting them degrees, and they're going into the workforce. But additionally, we've got companies like General Dynamics that's on our research park that are taking students straight out of high school. Students going right out of high school with industry-based certifications are walking in, into the front door of GDIT and they're getting employed. Wow. And, and thinking about the salaries that these students are making with industry-based certifications, average in our area, somebody graduate, graduating high school that has a CompTIA A+, Net+, Security+, certification, they're making between forty dollars and $60,000 a year out of high school. 60 to 80 with a two-year degree, 80 to 120 with a four-year degree. Think about that in our local economy, in our community, that type of living wage. It's a game changer for our community. And it all started at K-12. And so the Department of Homeland Security in 2013 were, was looking for a workforce development solution. And in 2013-2014 timeframe, the Cyber Innovation Center set out for a grant with DHS, uh, which is now CISA, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, set out a grant and said, what you guys did in northern Louisiana from a workforce development standpoint, from K-12 to higher ed, we want you to replicate that in all parts of the country. And so for the past nine years, Cyber.org has been the national model for cybersecurity workforce development. And, and, and think about that. In northern Louisiana, we have been the national model for cybersecurity education. To date, we've impacted 3.7 million students. We've got 25,000 educators across the country in all 50 states, four U.S. territories. Uh, we're working on a project now that's working with our uh, Hispanic communities that's translating content curriculum into Spanish, so they then are now learning uh, cybersecurity. But that impact started here 
that impact started in our own backyard being consumed by our own public schools and and to the viewers that are watching this video uh, i'd be willing to bet that your student at your school local school their stem classroom their technology classroom is using our content and curriculum and that is translated into mass adoption again across the country and learning standards you know to your question earlier there are no cybersecurity learning standards in the country. Think about that. If if we have a cyber literate population, if we have a need for a cyber literate population, you know, I talked about the connectivity of things and the need to secure. Um, no matter what job you're going into, cybersecurity plays a role in that. And so, we need standards that tell teachers this is what you should be teaching at these grade levels. And so. We didn't have them, so we wrote them uh, last year, and we launched them in states across the country. Uh, even the state of Louisiana uh, is uh, pioneering the efforts to adopt these cybersecurity standards. And um, you know, typically, I will talk about Louisiana being the last state uh, to adopt very forward-leaning uh, idealisms about technology and cybersecurity. Uh, Louisiana is going to be one of the top five states to adopt these standards which is makes me proud as a homegrown guy uh, to, to be able to say that Louisiana is very forward thinking in technology and computer science, cybersecurity. And for an educator out there who has yet to adopt your curriculum uh, or been exposed to cyber.org, how do they begin that process? So all they do is go on to cyber.org. Our name is our website, which was a, you know, a good little marketing play, I think. Uh, but go on to cyber.org. Our resources are free to any K-12 educator in the country, period, end of sentence. Content curriculum, professional development. So educators who are watching this, cyber.org, sign up, and you have the keys to the kingdom. Awesome. All right, so I, next I'm gonna jump into a quote of yours. I came across this one of yours. The U.S. is expected to face a shortage of 1.8 million skilled cybersecurity workers by 2022, making educating and empowering the next generation of cybersecurity professionals imperative to our future national and economic security. Mm -hmm. To date, I think this number has grown, you mentioned some stats are a little bit higher than what I'm about to say, but to date, cyber.org has influenced over 20,000, I think you said 25, yep. K through 12 educators to teach and introduce cyber concepts to over 3 million, I think you said 3.6 okay. maybe, students in all 50 states. But with over 52 million students in the country, we still have a lot of work to do. Job's just begun. So how do we as a country speed up our efforts in cybersecurity education so that we properly meet the cybersecurity workforce demand in the future. Yeah. yeah, the workforce gap is is a is a big concern of mine. We look at those numbers and when we talk about the you know the over 1 million cybersecurity job openings, those are openings that we do not have a labor force to fill in our country. Think about another industry. What if I were to say we have an, a you know a void of over 1 million doctors in our in our nation. 1 million manufacturing jobs that that are open though that would be a daunting number you know if we can't get you know a workforce from a healthcare standpoint a manufacturing standpoint from an agriculture standpoint um, we would be panicking and as our country transitions to a digital age as we really create a dependency on technology 
If we have over a million job openings, that means there are threats that are going un undefended. You know, there are the number of hacks uh, and data breaches that are happening every single day. That's not because of a lack of technology to defend or resources to defend. That's a direct result of the lack of manpower, talent that these companies can obtain to help defend uh, those types of attacks. Look at the cybersecurity, the threat landscape. It's changing every day. It is an ever-evolving threat landscape. And as we finally get, you know, we realize, oh, this is what the bad guy is doing, then that bad guy is going to find another way in. You know, it's like defending your home from an intruder. Well, yeah, we're going to lock our front door, but do you lock the windows too? Or did you put a ladder in front of the window that, you know, uh, to your balcony that you can get in front? Things like that. There's always an evolution. And so the, the, the workforce gap that we have, in my opinion, is a national security issue. And when I'm talking to education communities, I say that the greatest threat to our national security is the lack of K-12 cybersecurity education resources that are in our classroom. If we do not invest now, I am very scared about 10, 15, 20 years from now uh, because that number, one over one million number, is only going to grow as automation takes place, as artificial intelligence takes over. That just means there's more, more vulnerability points. And so we have to start now. You know, I, I was running um, at the wildlife refuge uh, just the other day and I'm looking around and I'm looking at this beautiful forest beautiful trees and I think these trees weren't planted yesterday for me to enjoy you know these trees this you know refuge was was nurtured because somebody a hundred two hundred three hundred years ago had the foresight to say this is important we're going to grow this. We're going to, you know, let this land be used for centuries ahead. That's the mindset that we need to be taking as educators, as businesses, is what are we doing now to plant the trees for our generations in the future to, 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 to you know, benefit from? And a cybersecurity workforce, a cybersecurity knowledge base uh, is just that. We as educators and businesses need to do it now. And, and, and I emphasize educators and businesses because our teachers are very, very important. But what are businesses doing to ensure that their workforce is cyber literate? You know, I, I always say, you know, whether you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, veterinarian, or you're going to own the flower shop on the corner of Common and Spring Street, right? You have to be cyber literate. And so our businesses from flower shops to, um, you know, our mechanic shops, we have to ensure that that workforce, all of these workforces have training programs, have resources that they can pull to to help them understand that if you get an email from somebody suspicious, don't click the link or don't open that attachment. Uh, verify it. Uh, pick up the phone and call them. And, you know, if Jeffrey sends me an email that has some weird attachment, I'm going to text him and go, hey, did you send me this? This looks a little weird. And then you verify. Oh, no, I didn't. 
So things like that that our workforce needs to be doing just as our educators need to be doing. My goal in my lifetime is we see the workforce gap curve flatten and starting to lower. That's my goal and that's our organization's goal uh, from a Cyber Innovation Center's perspective. Love it. Okay, so you talked a little bit about this too, but uh, I'd like you to elaborate. So you once said a student can leave high school, attend BIPSI for a two-year degree, walk across a parking lot to the Academic Success Center to continue their education for a four-year degree, and then literally walk across the street for a full-time job at GDIT. What can I do as a parent if I want to ensure that my kid is properly prepared Mm -hmm. to have a career in STEM and or cybersecurity? Before I answer that question, I think one of the most things that I'm most proud that I am to talk about is the fact that I can say that I was born here, I was raised here, I was educated here, I went to college here, and now I have an incredible job here. Right? So many of my colleagues, classmates, they, you know, upon graduating high school, they were gone. Those who did stick around or friends that I went to college with, Upon graduating, they were gone. When I went to grad school, they were gone. Right, so, so I, I'm a. I'm, it hurts me to say that Louis, one of Louisiana's greatest exports, is their human talent. And so, when we built the National Cyber Research Park, which is a 64-acre plot of land that has a 3,000-acre overlay district that's zoned for technology research and development, when we got that 64 acre plot of land we wanted to ensure that students who were to come here or are from here had the opportunity to be educated here with Bossier Parish Community College which is one of the fastest growing cyber two-year programs in the country they can go there and once they graduate they have an opportunity to go to GDIT and go into the workforce or walk across the street going to Louisiana Tech uh, and getting that four-year degree and then going to work for GDIT or any of, you know, I I keep saying GDIT. There are several IT-based companies in this community and and that IT cyber community continues to grow. Um, There's a lot of great companies in this area, but, you know, we have the ability to keep them, you know, within the circle of I-220, right? And that's that's you know encouraging to me and so for parents that are out there wanting to get their kids you know connected in there there are so many portals that you can plug into one is email info at cyber.org you know that that to me is your you know one stop you know email info at cyber.org and my team will gladly put you in touch with the folks at Bossier Parish Community College Um, Paul Spivey who's the Dean of, of Computer Science at Bossier Parish Community College. That is a great resource to get your students plugged into uh, the programs that Bipsy has to offer. Uh, Heath Timms at uh, Louisiana Tech University, who's Associate Dean uh, over in the College of Engineering. Great resource for students who are wanting to pursue cyber engineering or computer science. Uh, there's Julie Lesseter at LSUS, who's a great resource to plug into the work that uh, is being done. Dr. Hubbard at Grambling State University, uh, who's over the cybersecurity degree program. You know, if you if parents have questions, we can we can get you in the right place. But 
be sure to you know to encourage your child to explore right i remember growing up and if my mom and dad uh, watch this video they're gonna maybe be embarrassed but you know when i was growing up when, when i got to algebra one you know and i needed help with algebra one homework they were like i'm out you know once you start throwing x's and y's and z's into algebra i, I don't i don't know what to do that you know what the trend has been is that with the advancement of technology you know that uncertainty by parents is getting younger and younger and, and it's not because our parents are getting dumb it's just because the technology that's infiltrating our classrooms which is a great thing these are definitely good tools but we're getting that uncertainty you know by our parents and so i encourage our parents you know don't get scared when there are there are things out there or there are technologies out there um you know and go to cyber.org for great parent resources about how to stay safe online but what we want to do is have these parents have a Rolodex of contacts that they can reach out to and so they, they can encourage their students to pursue those degrees. Um, one project that we're doing right now, it's called Project Reach. It's realizing equitable access to cybersecurity in high school. And we're partnering with Grambling State University on this project and we're getting students who are from low socioeconomic areas, underserved communities, we're getting them introduced to cyber. And so we've got pilot programs at Woodlawn High School, Southwood High School, and Huntington High School. And we're getting these students on a bus, and we're taking them to Grambling State University, introducing them to the financial aid folks, the admissions folks, but we're also introducing them to the uh, cybersecurity faculty, the cybersecurity students that are currently enrolled in Grambling. And, and as I was interacting with a handful of these students, they were saying, you know, Mr. Nolan, I've never been outside the city of Shreveport. I've never been to a college or a university campus. I didn't know college and univer or university was accessible to me. I didn't think that I could get financial aid to go to college. And so we're helping parents introduce their students to what the opportunity the opportunities are, what the art of the possible is uh, for their students. And you know, when I can tell a student, look them straight in the face and go, if you go to Grambling, and get an undergraduate degree in cybersecurity, you can graduate making seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. That's life changing, and it's an emotional moment for parents to say that you know what, my child from Freeport, my child who's you know comes from a low socioeconomic background, can make an impact. And guess what? They can stay in our area, so they can take care of the parents when and as they grow older, right? And that's what I think as an only child. You know, my parents love it because you know, I get to take care of them, you know, you know, probably 20 years when they get a little older. Again, sorry, mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> I'm throwing them under the bus a lot today. But um, that's what we can do for parents is to provide them with a roadmap of opportunities. And that's what I love uh, about what Cyber.org is doing. Yeah, that's incredible. I didn't know, you, I didn't know about REACH. So that's amazing. I love it. Okay, so, um, and we've, we've kind of um, bounced around this a little bit, but talk more specifically about this. What kind of careers exist locally for someone with a proper STEM and or cybersecurity yeah. education? Yeah, there's several, several companies, um, too many to name, you know, and, and usually used to be where I could, you know, name 
the technology companies, right? I could name the Precies and, you know, I could name, um, you know, what uh, BRF's doing. I, I can name, you know, jobs that CIC has, GDIT has. But there are so many now small businesses uh, that are cropping up to support not only the technology industry, but to also supporting what Barksdale Air Force Base is doing. And so the the ability for these companies to, to make an impact, you know, 10 years ago, we started out, 15 years ago, really, we started out, there was no technology sector uh, in our area. And we just did a, an economic impact report by, with Dr. Lawrence Scott down in South Louisiana. And, and Dr. Scott studied, you know, what the technology base looks like right now. And so 15 years ago, there were no technology jobs. Today, there's over 2,000 technology jobs. We now locally, have locally, okay. Shreveport Bossier, locally, 2,000 cybersecurity jobs. Sure. That is now more than the agriculture sector, financing sector, manufacturing and durable goods sector, oil and gas sector. Uh, we're knocking on the door at the healthcare sector right now. And, and the, the ability for us to foster and incubate these small businesses, large businesses, you know, GDIT, when they came here, they were a computer science corporation, then they were CSRA, now they're GDIT. When they first came here, they said, we can get you 800 jobs in five years. That's great. That's, that's earth shattering in this community. They did it in three because of the workforce programs that we have. In three years, they did 800 jobs. In the five-year mark, they were at the 1,200 job mark. And in talking with GDIT just last week, they're at 1,500 jobs in this community. And, and when we talk about an, um, and, you know, annual, household, annual household earnings of $148.2 million being infused into this community, the revenues of those high-paying jobs, when those folks come in and pay taxes, $6.7 million in new revenues for our city governments. It's a game changer, that's annually. $6.7 million in additional annual revenues uh, that are coming uh, to our communities. And that's from GDIT or that's, that's from that's for all from the, the 20, that, that's from the technology sector. Okay. Um, and so the ability for us to say, we went from nothing to something. And, and that technology, I, my projection is over the next three to four years that that technology sector is going to double with the mission work that Barksdale Air Force Base is bringing to our community uh, and, and the work that these small businesses are doing to grow, um, this is truly becoming an I-20 cyber corridor. And that's been our tagline uh, over the past few years because we wanna grow a technology sector from Shreveport to Monroe uh, with uh, Lumen uh, over in Monroe, IBM over in Monroe, with all of the anchors that are over here in Shreveport, with Louisiana Tech and Grambling right in the middle, serving the academic needs for both communities. Uh, this is becoming the Louisiana I-20 cyber corridor. Wow, awesome. It's great, yeah, it's, it's, it's super exciting. All right, we'll, we'll probably keep talking, but my last formal question for you is, what can we as a community do to help you leverage the incredible asset you've built at the National Cyber Research Park? Specifically, how can we bolster your efforts to recruit and retain 
the nation's best and brightest. Yeah. I, I, I think if I were to um, put my finger on one thing, and, and I'll take this from a, a, two perspectives. I want to take this from a, an education perspective, and then I want to take this from an industry perspective. Please. Um, so number one priority from an education perspective, what we need to do is to ensure that our school systems are teaching 21st century skills. We want to ensure 22nd century skills, to, you know, if we even go that far. We need to ensure that our local communities are embracing the resources that we provide, and, and you know, there are a number of national programs out there, cyber.org, code.org, uh, different companies out there, but these school systems need to be embracing uh, the programs that, that we have to offer and, and teaching our students about careers of the future. That is so important. And uh, Superintendent Mitch Downey, Superintendent Lamar Gorey, uh, both of them are true champions. And, and so I don't want that to come across as, you know, they're doing bad work. They are doing good work. What we need to do is ensure that our parents are embracing this mindset. Our communities are embracing this mindset. I've always said we need to educate the whole child. And the whole child education process is broken up into three parts. The first is what happens inside the formal classroom. That's eight to three inside the school system. The other third is what are we doing at home? What are our parents doing to have conversations around the dinner table around cyber safety? What are we doing to ensure that our parents have the resources to have conversations around uh, you know, cyber careers? And the last piece is our community. What are our community centers, our nonprofit organizations like Cyport that's doing a phenomenal job? <clears throat> so how are we supporting those entities? How are our Boys and Girls Club, our, our community centers, embracing this digital age to ensuring that we are harnessing a child's interest in technology in those environments? Those three things. That's what we need to be doing to ensuring that we are staying on top of a workforce development model because we need that. There are certain companies that the Cyber Innovation Center has recruited. The only reason why they are here, I shouldn't say the only reason, one of the top reasons why they, why they are here is because of the workforce that we've created. They see low cost of living they see high quality of life. They see activities and programs like the Y and all of the after school sports that are going on. They see those things and they're like, yeah, I wanna stand up 800 jobs, 1,000 jobs in this community. That, that is so important because we've got a workforce, we've got a demand signal, and we can match those up. Uh, and. and and create an environment and a really a double, you know, the economic base of cybersecurity. Industry. I think the top priority is ensuring that you have a workforce that is cyber literate. You also need to ensure that we have an, a workforce that is leveraging the incentives that our community and our state offer. There's a, a digital media tax credit that our state has that when I go to DC-based companies, Dallas-based companies, they're like, you mean I get between 25 and 33% back in the form of a check on my labor for software development or for you know the movie industry? And that's through LED, that's right? That's through LED. 
and, and they're like, I would be dumb not to move some of my labor force here. Those tax incentives and the quality of life within our community, uh, our companies and our businesses need to embrace that. They need to be aware of that. Uh, and then the last thing from an industry perspective is to support the efforts of Barksdale. And I, and I, I do want to talk about some of the work that we're doing with Barksdale. Uh, but the, our, there are ways in which our businesses and our community can support the work of Barksdale. And, and you know, we need to find ways to, to better that marriage uh, between our companies and Barksdale Air Force Base. And how do we do that? So how do we do that? Great question, Jeffrey. Um, so we, uh, so Cyber Innovation Center has a number of business units. Uh, education is um, is one of them, but it's not our largest. Actually, our largest business unit uh, is a relationship with the Air Force. It's called a Partnership Intermediary Agreement. This allows us to solve technical challenges uh, for Air Force Global Strike Command. Air Force Global Strike Command says, we want to modernize X, Y, or Z. And they kick that problem over to us. And they, we provide them with a rapid prototype, an innovative solution, and most often than not, a low cost solution to what they were thinking. One of the examples that I love to share is that the air crews who are sitting on alert, they're using pagers. I think there are now two companies uh, in the world that have pagers. Uh, one of them is a US-based company, but the other one is a Chinese-based company. And we can't really have those systems, you know, from overseas systems, uh, you know, leveraging our air crew alerting systems. And so um, the military was gonna spend over $400 million on a new pager. They kicked the problem over to us, and so what we developed was a two-way mesh network communication system, and I liken it to the Star Wars communicator patch, and it's a form of a patch. And so this patch sits on the, the uniforms of these airmen and women who were on alert, and if you are in a different part of the building and others are in different parts of the building, this mesh network, they rely on each other. And so they build a network uh, among all of these patches, and if an alert happens, you have the ability to acknowledge, because it's a two-way communication system, you have the ability to acknowledge that. We've taken that $400 million projected cost and we brought that acquisition cost down to about $200 million. So a cost savings to the Air Force of about $200, $250 million, all because we brought a bunch of smart people into a room, facilitated a problem definition workshop, created a, 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 a prototype, and, and are now fielding those uh, different types of, of programs. Technical things, non-technical things, uh, all kinds of problems with the Air Force. Uh, we just built a, an air refueling simulator to hopefully cut down the training time uh, to put an, a B-52 in the air, to put a refueler in the air, all of those associated air crews, that's a lot of money. And if we can use augmented and virtual reality within a simulator to help train pilots on air refueling, we've done a tremendous job in cutting those training sorties in half. We can do the first part, virtual augmented reality, as pilots are flying in this virtual environment, and then when they get into the cockpit, they, are like, they have a familiarity of, okay, this is what it looks like, this is what it feels like, this is what it sounds like. 
Now this is what I need to do with my throttles. This is what I need to do with the yoke uh, and so forth. So we're working several different projects. Uh, so Strikeworks, uh, which is the front door for Air Force Global Strike Command. It is their innovation hub. Uh, Strikeworks is what we call our innovation hub. And this is where small businesses can come to, to learn how to work with the government, how to work with Air Force Global Strike Command. If these businesses have a solution set that you know, they think would be beneficial uh, to the Air Force, this is where they can come uh, and meet with our team uh, to do those types of rapid prototyping, rapid innovation. And so StrikeWorks is one of your divisions? One of our divisions okay. within uh, one of the business units uh, within the Cyber Innovation Center. Uh, and if you walk into our front door, boom, there it is. Uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's got a cool Google-esque, uh, you know, environment where that really fosters uh, brainstorming and innovation and creativity. Uh, we also have a, what's called a collaborative environment that allows us to uh, do unique training and unique briefings in a facility that's outside of Barksdale Air Force Base. Uh, and so this is a solution set uh, for many of the training needs uh, of the men and women uh, in the Air Force that are supporting Air Force Global Strike Command's uh, mission. I have another question for you just listening to you, this kind of spark. So when, when you guys let's say, are competing for a company to come here, mm -hmm. trying to court a company to come here, and you lose, you, you lose to another city or lose to another area. I'm curious, you know, where are we, from your perspective, where are we still deficient? Why are we losing at mm -hmm. times to these other places? What do they have? I, I mean, I understand there are places that are larger or have more amenities or... Uh, maybe people perceive as having a greater mm -hmm. quality of life. From your perspective, yeah. why do we lose it in some of these situations? Uh, I, I think, you know, look at the workforce that, that we have here, that, rather that we, you know, are currently in. And it's a lot of millennials, right? It's a lot of the, you know, 24 to 40 uh, year old range. And, and we have to think about what do they want? you know, in a community? What do they want in, in a neighborhood? And, and what we're seeing is this younger generation, it, you know, they're going to go to work, but they also want to have activities and, and, and things to do. They want to have places to walk and ride their bikes. Uh, and so I think about what uh, the East Bank District, you know, as, a, as an example in Bossier, uh, that East Bank District actually was a result of something that CSRA and CSC and GDIT wanted uh, when they came here. Uh, the community that they were looking at, because there were 135 uh, place cities on the list and, and Bossier wasn't one of them, uh, and we became one of them. Uh, we came number one because of our workforce, but also the commitment to invest in city infrastructure like East Bank District where these individuals can go uh, go to a outdoor concert or go to a festival or uh, go to you know a brewery or a restaurant at Bojack's uh, so it's things and like do it all on foot and do it all on foot and and I think you know when you have neighborhoods uh, like the South Highlands area that has Crawfest at Betty Virginia Park, that you have walkable uh, restaurants like Maryland's Place and Key Mexico, uh, those are important to the generations uh, that are filling the technology-based workforce right now. And so from my perspective, what I love to see is a more of an investment on 
our city parks, our city, our infrastructure. How do I, you know, work really hard, but how do I play really hard? Um, and, and one of the highlights that I've heard, you know, obviously East Bank District is, is one of them. The Louisiana uh, Wildlife Refuge is another tremendous highlight of what our communities love. They love going out into nature and it's really close by. Um, you know, the ability for, uh, for good shopping, you know, the Uri Drive corridor is something that's, that's really, you know, good and unique. Uh, the Uptown Shopping Center in Broadmoor, um, on Line Avenue, uh, those are different types of areas that people like to gravitate to. Uh, Mudbug Madness, the Festival Plaza in downtown, um, now that we're coming, you know, recovering from our COVID, uh, you know, restrictions and things of that nature, uh, those types of festivals, Mudbug Madness, Red River Revel, uh, we, we need to be embracing and supporting and investing in things like that because that's what the workforce really wants to see. Well, I think it's fascinating all that you're doing. Is there anything else? Um, I think this gives people uh, hopefully a much better handle uh, where the, now as they're heading east and drive by. They see that spacey uh, looking building. They're, they're like, I have no idea what, what that, that is. is. Hopefully now yeah. at least they have a better sense of yeah. some of the incredible things that are happening. Yeah, it, it really is. It, and, and I think the parting thought is that the city – our community, Northwest Louisiana, really should be proud of the work that has been going on in that 64-acre uh, plot of land. While we can't talk about a lot of the stuff that we do, uh, there are certain things that we can talk about, and I think I've covered them all here. Um, but one of the important things that I want the audience and the community to know is that the investment that was made in that research park has paid dividends because of the workforce that we've been able to bring in, the quality of life and the revenues from a tax base that we've been able to bring in, but the notoriety that we are getting as a community in the eyes of the country. The state of North Dakota, the state of Virginia, the state of Kentucky, they are looking at us as model cyber workforce development programs. Think about that. You know, Louisiana is not often known no. for, you know, being number one, number two, number three, or number top five, really, uh, in many things. And, and I'm proud to say that from a cybersecurity workforce development standpoint, we're in the top five. From a cybersecurity education standpoint, from a K-12 perspective, we're top five. The support that we're offering Air Force Global Strike Command and the bases that they have uh, across the country, we are leading in the innovation. When I talk about um, workforce growth, when I talk about contributions to from higher ed perspective, uh, Louisiana Tech University is one of the top cyber programs uh, in the country. Grambling State University has one of the top cybersecurity degree programs within HBCUs across the country. These are stats that don't get shared often enough. I agree. And, and I want to, every chance I get, to celebrate uh, the work that our community is doing in cyber. And, and that's what I want people watching this video at home tonight and you know in the future to know is we are a cyber community. And that cyber community is going to continue to grow and flourish uh, because of the people who are here and the people who want to come here. 
I'm proud of all you guys are doing and feel very fortunate to have you here today and you in the community. So. Yeah, absolutely, Jeffrey. I appreciate all the work you all are doing at the Y. Um, and I love running on that treadmill right over there, um, <laughs> you know, in the afternoons. And uh, look forward to supporting all of your, y'all's growth um, going into the future because the work that the Y is doing is directly impacting the companies and the businesses that we can bring because we can point to the why and say this is what you have from a quality of life so congratulations to y'all and the great work y'all are doing thanks so much absolutely good to have you thanks